Welcome to the TBD podcast, To Be Determined. My name is Erica Berger, and I'm your host and convener. Life can be messy. On To Be Determined, we talk with artists, entrepreneurs, and world shapers about how they pick through their messy lives and become more resilient. Together, we learn that life is always to be determined. This week, my guest is someone very special. Hi, I'm Naz. Naz who? <laughs> Wait, is this the actual intro? Because yeah. I thought you were sound testing. Yeah, I'm doing both. <laughs> Naz is a dear friend of mine. We've known each other for about four years, and our sensibilities and careers are surprisingly similar. We've both worked as journalists and now both host our own independent podcasts. So she's like the English version of me, and I'm like the American <laughs> version of her a little bit. But anyways, I'm sitting here with... Hi, I'm Naz, or Nastrantavakolifa is the full name, but it's really long, so I shorten it. Naz, for short, is the co-host and creator of one of my favorite podcasts and shows, The Gender Knot. That's K-N-O-T. On it, Naz and her co-host Jonathan tackle gnarly issues around gender. We had our conversation on a bench on the banks of the Thames River in London back in June when I was visiting. We talked about trading elegance for authenticity, embracing the right amount of judginess and confrontation as women, and what frustrates Nas about President Obama. But before all that, we talked about the power of podcasting. I'd love to start our conversation um, with you, Nas, about why you decided to get into the podcasting world, why you decided to do it on your own, separate from your employer, and how it's felt to kind of become a bit of an entrepreneur, a media entrepreneur. Um, so I have worked in radio for about 10 years and um, I also write but not as much just because my focus has been radio and I kind of just fell into it. It was one of these things that sort of just happened. But to be honest, I've not really been a radio person and the past few years so there's this, been this whole podcast boom and I knew there were certain topics I wanted to do so gender is one of them but also I'm really interested in sort of economics and sort of the philosophy behind a lot of economic systems and practices so that's another area I'm really into but with the gender stuff I really I felt like writing is quite black and white and a lot of our issues when it comes to not just gender but even issues to do with race class like identity issues right it's so much to do with sort of how we communicate with each other and the dynamics and like power relations and that's quite hard to get across in the written word Um, and this has happened on my podcast quite a lot where you know me and a guest the dynamic itself is part of the problem like for example if I'm trying to explain something to a guy and then he gets all defensive on me and then like you know I offend him and stuff that is the dynamic of these scenarios so that's why with with looking at new masculinity and femininity I felt like this needs to be a podcast and also like you're in podcast so you know all about the sort of the intimacy you get with podcasts. People listen to them literally in their ears, you know? It's a very one-on-one relationship. Um, So yeah, that's really why I felt like this topic, it it needs to be in the podcast form. Also, um, I don't know if I should admit this, but I find like the podcast, um, no, how how do I put this? Um, I can be quite judgy. (laughs) You can be judgy. Takes one to know one, darling. I like to think that that's like part of the job description <laughs> as a journalist. Well, that's my excuse for being judgy. And there's something about, um, yeah, you, when you're in conversation with someone, I think it hones in my judginess a little bit. Whereas when I write, um, I can be quite scathing. And I do like being scathing, but I, I felt like it doesn't lend itself well to this topic. 
You're being so English about this. I have to say, like, you know, I, I don't remember the last time I heard an American journalist or uh, let's talk about gender. A male journalist call himself judgy or scathing. And and uh, to me, journalism is meant to be something that's confrontational and that unpacks um, and takes apart and critiques some of the ways that we're inhabiting the world so that we can put it back together differently. Yeah, no, that's true. But despite all of that, I do think I am quite judgy, like even amongst journalists. It's like, ooh, NASA's walked in, did you make a judgy comment? So, um, no, but I do agree with you. Yeah. Um, so I, I started seeing a really good therapist a few years ago. And like, I'd say like me now is super different to me before therapy. And I know we all grow and stuff, but it's kind of quite a radical shift. Because um, I think before I was kind of very argumentative, but also quite people pleasy like everything was always very perfect you know that sort of a personality and I think now because I'm just yeah and what used to happen was like uh, there was a pattern I'd have of falling out with people where I'd get really annoyed at them about something and I'd hold it in hold it in hold it in and then I'd just never speak to them again like just like that and I did that with quite a lot of people um and I think now I'm more of a sort of like look just raise it as you go along um yeah and I hate that I'm going to admit this, but in a sense, even though I feel like I'm like a much better person now, um, there's something a bit elegant about being emotionally repressed. <laughs> I love that. And like, part of me feels like me 10 years ago, like I was messed up, I treated people badly, this, that and the other, but like, I seemed quite elegant, whereas now I feel like I'm just like the brash person who's constantly making a scene, even though I think I'm a way better person, like I'm more honest, I'm like kinder to people, I'm, you know, I think I'm a way better person, but there's something about, um, and I, I've been thinking about this, why is it that I think that not saying what's on your mind, that was so elegant, you know, like a lot of the people we consider elegant and stuff, they are a bit sketchy, aren't they? They're sort of evasive. They don't really say very much. And well, these are outdated modes of propriety. I mean, yeah. I'm, we're sitting here in London, and so I'm like, <laughs> like laughing to myself. Why is it elegant to not say how you feel? It, for hundreds of years, women especially, were told to not say how they feel, and we're told to dress a certain way, show up a certain way in a room, eat and drink a certain way. Um, and inhabit a world based on whomever decided that was the way we're meant to inhabit the world. So I'm not surprised that uh, you don't think it's elegant to be modern, because that's what we're kind of talking about. Right, right. No, no, that's true. That's true. And it's funny, because I do find people who are feisty and in your face quite attractive. Like, um, but it's a different type of attractive, isn't it? It's not, like, classy. I don't know, it, it is one of those things I do, I don't know. This happens all the time where I like, I'm really open and brash with someone and I'm like, you know, I really like myself, but I'm not really that classy anymore. And it is like something I feel like, oh, maybe like 10% of me misses that. I love the words classy and elegant. Um, but it, it, what I'm describing is kind of bullshit, isn't it? Because I'm describing someone who doesn't say what's on their mind, usually because they have no idea what they really think, um, who is inauthentic, who... Um, is maybe a bit evasive, um, who's basically emotionally unavailable. That's what I'm describing. And like I say, I don't actually find that kind of a person attractive, but it, that kind of person is quote-unquote elegant. Why do I care about that so much? I don't know. It, it, is, it, is a th it is a tiny little thing on my shoulder every time I'm a little bit in your face with someone, and I'm like... Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about um, Hermione Granger. I'm thinking about <laughs> Emma uh, Watson. Watson. 
and she i think she's from this area by the way i think she's a home she's a home girl i think yeah, well I, I i mean i maybe this is so american of me but like i think she manages to strike a beautiful balance between being brash and standing up for her ideals and also still carrying herself elegantly mm-hmm. which is kind of what we're talking about right like carrying ourselves with grace and elegance and um well i i think of oprah now that you describe that you know, someone who's like really warm, really like authentic and real, but also sort of graceful, you know? So a friend of mine, we were sitting at Regent's Canal this weekend and he's American. Um, he lives here with his partner who is from Amsterdam. And I was performing a comedy sketch that I've been performing in LA and New York for them on the canal on a Saturday whilst I was about to get hit by like various cyclists and people were walking by (laughs) trying to figure out what was happening and whatever. It was very funny. And afterwards, uh, this friend said to me, um, I love when you come from love. And he was remarking about my comedy routine, um, not being a critique, but rather having a conversation filled with levity and humor with people in an effort to get a certain group of people to think a little bit differently about the space they're inhabiting. Then he made a comment about Oprah, actually, and he said she, against many, many odds, um, was able to become who she became because she came from a place of love. And I'm wondering now, um, can we cultivate a sense of elegance and class when we are still brash and... Um, honest and uh, confrontational for the right reasons when we come from a place of love versus a place of hate. Yeah, maybe we can. I don't know. It's, you know, what what was going through my mind was um, whether, like, if you're a woman, being really open is kind of harder. And, like, if you're a person of colour as well. Have you, did you ever listen to, um, you know the podcast Presidential, uh, Washington Post was doing that, and they had an episode on Obama, and um, I hate that I'm going to say this, but I'll just admit it, I've, I've not, I don't really like Obama's vibe that well, I find him really cold, I find him really like cold and unfriendly, and it's interesting because I've always been interested that he did so well in America, because I feel like he's the sort of person who would do very well in the UK, so like, you know, very intellectual, very collected, very calm. I, I've always been surprised he did well in the US. And then, so on this podcast, I can't remember who it was, but someone was saying that, oh, it's, it's to do with, um, as, as a black man, having to be very careful about showing emotion. Because, you know, you don't want to seem angry or out of control or whatever is said to put down people. Um, so, and, yeah, it's interesting him and Oprah managed to sort of be very outspoken and on it. Well, actually, I think Obama's quite different from Oprah. Oprah. I find him quite evasive, actually. Like, you know when you listen to Obama's speeches and he talks beautifully, but he doesn't actually say anything? Well, and the, so it's two or three things. But um, that, that's, that goes to the elegance. Like, oh, he seems so elegant, but like, he's not actually said anything. But Oprah, like, so yeah, she's really open, really warm, really authentic. And yeah, it must have been very hard for her to like manage that, given... Let's get a little bit behind the scenes here because I happen to have some context that's worth noting. Um, Obama and Oprah are both from Chicago. Okay. Uh, like, like me, yep. Um, Midwestern mm-hmm. attitudes um, do well on the coast, I actually seem to think. Um, there's a little bit of kindness and um, wholeheartedness that is taught in the Midwest that feels palpably different than mm-hmm. 
um, New York or DC or California even. Um, so I think that's worth noting. Um, I think that allows someone to be, um, to inhabit spaces that they might not normally be able to inhabit. Um, I feel that way about my career. Um, but also, uh, it would be remiss not to bring up, you know, who Obama's speechwriters were. And his speechwriters uh, all now host a show called Pod Save the World and Pod Save America, and they all moved to Los Angeles after their careers in D.C. and started Crooked Media, and those podcasts are doing incredibly well. Um, but they were a bunch of white dudes that were writing his speeches. And so I wonder now, how does race, how does gender play into the words that you heard our president speak for eight years? Um, and, you know, how, I wonder who writes for Oprah. Yeah. I think a lot of her episodes are more off the cuff. It's not yeah. scripted, right? Um, being a president, you're essentially scripted. And, and so because this show happens to be um, about the inner workings of, of the show and media and because we're both media people, like we can have an honest conversation here about like how do we judge people who aren't necessarily saying their own words or their own truth and how do we push through the language to see the person's true spirit behind yeah. all of the words. Um, yeah, I think what we're really getting at is being okay with being uncomfortable and with discomfort feeling more normative for us. And what I'm really wondering is, will the next generation of human beings um, who are more equipped to talk about emotions, who are given more space to talk about emotions, Will confrontation no longer be the word that we even use? Mm. Will elegance and class become more associated with showing up honestly yeah. and coming from the heart yeah. um, versus, you know, checking yourself before you enter a room? Like, what do you think? Yeah, so it's interesting because I feel like um, there's so much shit people... Am I allowed to swear? People say so much shit about millennials. Um, and I actually, I feel quite proud of our generation because I think we're really good at, like, talking about uncomfortable things. Um, when older... I feel like when older generations go on about how like, oh, you're just whining about like race or class or privilege and, you know, these are just excuses, snowflake generation. No, it's, I think it's because younger people are not scared of having those uncomfortable conversations. I think it's a really beautiful thing in our generation and not to sound like a grandmother, I feel like when I look at people even younger, like I look at sort of like bloggers in this country who like they're 14, 15 year old girls and like they're so fierce and it's really cool, you know what I mean? Um, or like in the US, you know those students at that school where there was the shooting and they're just like, you know, they're not taking crap from like big time TV hosts and stuff. Um, and especially in this country, there's a real sense of like, oh, you know, younger people whining. And it's like, no, it's because younger people are not being scared to have these conversations. And it's not seen as confrontation necessarily. It's seen as, like you say, just being authentic and honest. And so it's really exciting. I feel like the future is quite exciting. And there will be pushback and there is pushback against this sort of thing. I think it's going to get worse before it gets better, but I'm like very cautiously optimistic and I have... <laughs> it's a very journalist thing, cautiously optimistic. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. It was like one of the intentions I had for this year to be more cautiously optimistic. Actually, speaking of which, um, we're, we're in this time with all these um, 
the immigration policy going on. And so like a few days ago, Secretary Sanders, so I'm sure you've heard about this, she was refused service in a restaurant. And like just seeing the reaction to that is amazing. Um, and people talking about like, oh, you should be, like the Washington Post had an opinion, they had an opinion piece by their editorial board this weekend talking about civility and how everyone should be civil. And I'm like, F civility, do you know what I mean? This is kind of like this BS from older generations, I feel, of like, oh, let's all be nice to each other. What, being, you know, I mean, there comes a time when you have to stand up for your convictions. And just seeing that the Washington Post, who I actually really have a lot of respect for, their editorial board put something out about like, oh, let's be civil and let these people eat in peace. F that. That really pissed me off. I'm like, F that. So I advised a conference on civility this year <laughs> at USC. And I mean, it was fascinating. We had neuroscientists, um, language experts, uh, professors that study geriatrics and aging. And then we had professors from poli-sci, um, it was really a blend. And I think at the end of the day, we realized like civility has never actually been a thing. Mm -hmm. Remember people used to like shoot each other mm -hmm. to uh, to deal with arguments? Uh, They'd yeah. have duels. They'd have duels, yeah. So, I, you know. But if, also, it's, it's kind of like politeness is sort of cowardice a lot of the time. I really think like, you know, people being polite, not wanting to make a scene. It's kind of cowardice. It's because you don't want to like take a stand because taking a stand means putting your neck out and being vulnerable and maybe like, you know, having people not like you. So people, especially like, I've had this in my personal life where something has happened and everyone's wanted to, ooh, I don't want to take sides. It's like, F that, you need to take sides. I think it's like the biggest sign of cowardice to like not take sides, to, you know, not want to cause a scene. Also, I think it's a self-worth, sorry, I'm really on a soapbox right now. I think it's a bit of a self-worth thing as well. Like, if you cause a scene, it's because you're saying, I am worthy of being treated better. That's why I won't like be quiet, you know, drop it. Like, you know, to, what's this thing they always say? Um, be the bigger person, you know, like as a way of telling someone to like not pursue something that they're pissed about. Like, oh, don't, don't keep arguing, be the bigger person and walk away. It's like, no, someone who causes a scene is someone who's saying, F that, I deserve to be heard. Um, and yeah, I guess it goes back to what I was saying about elegance and that is upholding privilege and, you know, imbalances and stuff. So basically, Nas and my goal throughout the rest of our lives is... Uh, unpacking uh, elegance, elegance <laughs> and class and making sure we can blend elegance and class with assertiveness and uh, our quest to have a more equitable, just and emotionally awake world. Does that sound right? That, that sounds wicked. And I'm optimistic about that. Not cautiously, but I'm fully, <laughs> fully optimistic that we can do that. <laughs> All right, I'm in. I'm optimistic about that. <laughs> Thanks to Nas for coming on the show. Be sure to check out her podcast, The Gender Knot. That's where Nas and her co-host, Jonathan, talk about less judgy and more authentic stories in regards to gender. You can find it wherever you listen to your podcasts and your shows, or by visiting thegenderknot.com. Remember, that's K-N-O-T. If you want to learn more about us here at To Be Determined, or want to listen to back episodes, come visit the show page at livetbd.com or find us wherever you find your shows and podcasts. This will be the last episode of our first season. We're so grateful that you've been here and listening with us. We'll be on hiatus for a few months as we figure out what we want to do for season two. If you have any ideas for our topics for season two, or for people that you think we have to speak to, go ahead and send us an email at eb, that's Erica Berger, so eb at livetbd.com. We look forward to your submissions. Thanks for listening to the TBD Podcast.
This has been a production of TBD, To Be Determined, and is a BurgerWorks project. A special shout out goes to my producer, Mervyn Deganos, and to our composers, Caleb Spaulding and Anna Becker. And of course, finally, to Lynn Rodden for our beautiful imagery. See you next time.